what a blessing it is to be able to worship with you today, to be able to celebrate God's goodness, and to be able to uh, just sing to the Lord this morning. As we've been able to worship, it is a privilege to... Actually, I enjoy doing a lot of the, the old traditional songs, and that's what we get this morning. So uh, thank you guys for being a part of our service today. It is always a privilege to gather with other believers and uh, today we actually have a special treat that I'm going to share with you guys. Actually, I'm only sharing part of it. Um, I mentioned several months ago about the desire to begin meeting some practical needs in the lives of other people in the community and uh, outside of this community. One of the needs that uh, we've looked at is doing addiction recovery ministry. Well, two weeks ago, I had the privilege, Pastor Wiggins preached for me while I was gone, I had the privilege of going to the graduation of one of my friends from up in Delaware, and since then, that friend has come back down here with me, has moved to this area, and he is living in this town, and he's looking for work, so if anyone knows anything, let us know. Uh, there are some good opportunities for him, but we still need God to direct that process too. But I want you guys to have the opportunity to meet him, so I'm going to ask if John would come up and he's going to share uh, just a little bit of his testimony with you this morning. I got that down to y'all. Um, well, first and foremost, I got to thank Pastor and, and, and the church as a body, man. This is just an awesome experience for me. I was saying I haven't used the word awesome in my whole life as, I'm, as I have in the last two weeks. Everything is just awesome here so far, so... God is awesome, so I thank you all for reaching out to me and, and accepting me and loving me and praying for me. You didn't even know me, and that's just experiencing God's love through God's people, and, and there's no greater love than that, so I thank you all. Um, I'll start with uh, my testimony begins. I was born in Delaware, and uh, I was raised by my mother, a single mother. It was me, and uh, I'm the middle child, so... That says a lot there. Uh, of three boys, I have an older brother and a younger brother. Um, I never knew my father. Uh, one thing I knew about him was that he, he suffered from sin just as well as I did, and, and that's the, the, you know, he was an alcoholic, a drug addict, and uh, so it was difficult for me as a child not having a, a, a role model around, a father around, and, and I understand that now that I'm older, but as a child, you know, you it's kind of confusing. Um, what I do know is, is in 1 John 3, 1, it tells me I have a heavenly father that uh, loves me more than any possible father can love me. And it says, uh, behold, what manner of love the father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Um, there's no greater love than that, like I mentioned, in the love of God. And I'm so grateful for that. Uh, like I said, my, my mother was a single mother. She worked hard and did her best at, at raising us. And uh, I know I surely didn't make it easier for her. Uh, I was um, some trouble. Uh, my grandparents, God bless them. Uh, my grandfather's in heaven. My grandmother's back in Delaware. Hopefully she'll listen to this. So hi, Grandma. Um, they played an essential part. In, 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 in my life as far as not just meeting physical needs and emotional needs, but they played the most important part of my life, and that was introducing me to Jesus Christ and showing me Jesus, and that's just the greatest thing that I can thank them for. And um, uh, Let's see. Oh, as a child, 
to my, to my adulthood. They were the closest thing to Jesus that I knew. Um, anyway, I went to a Christian school until I was in the fourth grade, and uh, I, was, I was nine when we moved, and I switched to a public school. I think I was like, I don't know what grade it was, fourth or fifth, something like that. Fifth grade, I remember, though. I was like 15, I think, and uh, something like that. Uh, but I just remember that the age of 15 is when I really started to rebel and I started to get into things that I shouldn't have been doing. I started hanging out with older guys and I found that, you know, I was hanging out with guys that were 21 and stuff like that and they became my role models and, and whatever I seen them doing, I thought they were cool, you know, drinking and selling drugs and partying and doing drugs and things, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I was just exceeding. I was seeking acceptance from them, and um, it's really a struggle, it was a fear of man, um, and, and I was concerned of what people thought of me and, and, and things like that, and if I was cool and all that mess, uh, but in Proverbs it tells me that the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe, and uh, I definitely experienced that. Um, my partying and drinking had an instant effect on my life for the worse. Uh, it, it snowballed out of control. I have had numerous, should have been dead experiences. Um, you know, our God is a, sec uh, a God of second chances, but I mean, as far as I know, it goes way more higher than that. Uh, so I'm grateful for that. Um, the arrest, the, 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 the DUIs, the fighting, the stealing, et cetera. If it had anything to do with sin, most of the time you could count me in. Uh, I was drinking and drugging extremely to the point my life was just outright hectic and full of chaos. Satan was having his way with me, and at the same time, I was my own worst enemy. I lost everything, the will to live, hope, and even the, the ability to care. Um, it was a very dark and frightening place in my life. Uh, it was empty, but it was full of loneliness and desperation. Um, I thought I was completely bottomed out. In 2013, I found out about a place called Colony of Mercy, which a pastor had mentioned. Um, I went there broken, beat up, and, and just a, a shell of a man. Uh, it was here I established a relationship with the Lord and placed him um, on the throne of my life. I was focused and on fire for the Lord, walking in his light for about a year and a half. I got a taste of his love, and it was good. Uh, Psalms 34.8. Tells us, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Um, my bottom, I thought I had, fell to, had a trap door to it. Uh, somewhere in that time, I took God off the throne, and I, and I put myself back on it. I took my eyes off of him, but he never took his eyes off me. And I was lacking in faith, and uh, I sank fast. Um, similar to Peter, as in Matthew uh, 14, it says, but when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Um, and immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and called him and said to him, Oh, you a little faith, why did you doubt? I can relate very, very much so to Peter in that situation. I took my eyes off of him, and I sunk fast, and uh, within five months, I was back. Basically, back in, in Keswick, his colony of mercy, I went back, and um, I'm so grateful for God's grace. Uh, and him snatching me out of that sea of sin I was drowning in. Um, these things happened to me for his purpose. And uh, 
I had both a hard heart and a hard head, but he made sure I learned a lesson of lessons. Never doubt, of, just on that lesson of lessons, I was sharing with Pastor O'Day that there, through this, the hard times and the trials and that I put myself through within the five months, uh, the Lord instilled this fear in me, and it's a healthy fear. And, and, and his grace kept me alive so that I know, because a lot of people don't live through that. You know, a lot of people, God calls them and he'll take them home, but he kept me alive. And, and to experience that grace and that fear of knowing the results of what happens if I was to make these kind of choices again is, is actually a blessing. So I thank God for that lesson. Um, never doubt or take my eyes off of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love Jesus more than ever and rest assured on him and his word. He is not finished with me. And I am excited to see what he has planned for me in helping to further his kingdom here in South Carolina, which I never thought I would be, be saying. So, so it's a, definitely a blessing to be here. I'm just excited. Um, Philippians 1.6 is a very important verse. I have some verses I want to share and I'll be done. Uh, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. Um, that verse right there is, is what we can we live on. We can stand on that, that he, I'm confident that, that he is not, he's going to complete his good thing that he started in me and in all of us. So I'm just grateful for that, that promise, um, all of his promises. Uh, Matthew 6, uh, 33 and 34, these were key verses to me back like right now, I've been really uh, keeping these in my heart. Uh, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Um, that's an important verse for my situations, and, and, and I just thank him for the joy that he gives me in the day. And, and I know that if I stay faithful in the day, that, that if you stay faithful in the day, Tomorrow you will be in his will, so that means you will always be in the Lord's will. So I just do my best to stay faithful in the day. And uh, my last thing I wanted to share was uh, Romans 5, 1 through 5. Um, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Um, that's basically my life verses. I have a couple now, so uh, it changes because, you know, the word is, is a living word, so it changes as my life, as I grow in Christ. Um, I just thank you all for, for your love and, and giving me this opportunity to share what the Lord's doing in my life and uh, thank God for him revealing just how real and how serious that 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 that, that sin is and it is uh, if it's an addiction or whatever but uh, I just keep short accounts and, and make sure I never go back to that way of life again and I'm grateful to be alive and to be here with y'all so thank you. John, how long have you been alcohol and drug free? Awesome. Congratulations.
I do ask you guys to continue to pray for him. It is a daily battle that individuals need to struggle with, but God is the one who sets us free, and he is the one who has provided the victory at this point. We believe God will continue to do that. Also pray for him just as he's in transition. Uh, South Carolina is a new experience to him. Uh, First thing he said to me was, what's with all the red dirt? (laughs) That's South Carolina. It's just what you expect to see here. So Uh, Just pray for him as this is a new environment. It is a blessing to have some family that's been able to come this morning as well uh, from nearby Inman, I believe. So it's great to have you with us. All right, all that will lead into what I want to share with you guys this morning. Let me uh, me share a couple dates with you, some things that just kind of stand out to me. August 26, 1979 is a day that probably doesn't mean much to you guys, but to me it was a significant day. That was the day that my parents' divorce became final. A few years later, we would get involved in a Wesleyan church, but it wouldn't be until August 6, 1990 that I would surrender my life to Jesus Christ. A little less than four years later, on June 1st, 1994, I would begin my first pastorate at a church in Burlington, North Carolina. The following year, on June 3rd, 1995, I would get married. What do all of those dates have in common with each other? They were all moments in time where everything changed for me. Personally, there have been many more such events in my life, including everything from the death of a child, a choice to relocate my family, and the decision for me to go to college. But each of these events brought about change. By the way, those are all personal examples, but the reality is that society has gone through similar moments generations ago. Those who were alive still remember the attacks on Pearl Harbor as if it were yesterday, the assassination of Kennedy, the Vietnam War, the start of the Vietnam War. In my lifetime, I can recall the assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan. I can remember when the Berlin Wall was actually torn down, the space shuttle disaster, and the events of September 11, 2001. All of these marked moments in time when everything seemed to change. People woke up the next morning and realized that it was a different world than the one they woke up to the day before. In some cases, we were greeted with a sense of despair, wondering how we as a nation or as individuals could move on from this. Others, in other circumstances, we rejoiced over the potential that awaited us. But we knew that no matter what, there was no going back. There was no way that our world would ever go back to the way it was before. You guys know that I'm kind of a a music guy and that I love all kinds of music. I was talking with someone this week about the power of music. And I can listen to a song that I haven't heard for decades. And immediately my mind will go back to a certain place in time. And I can remember certain things. My mom was a big country music fan. The old country music, not the new stuff because it's a big difference between the two. In the old country music, I can hear a song and immediately in my mind, I can picture riding down the road in the car with my mom, usually heading to church because it seemed like we were there every night of the week, but heading to church and I can picture things that were 
passing on the side of the road because music has that power to draw you back. Uh, you guys know the song by Lee Greenwood, and I don't even know if it's entitled this, but it basically says, I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free, and, and it goes on to do other parts of the song. Anyways, I picture that immediately as soon as I hear that song, my mind goes back to there was a place we would go every 4th of July. It was called Lake Fairfax. They would do fireworks out over the water. I remember we would cook out and it was really one of those rare family times where even my dad would participate with us. And I look back Music has that power to bring us back. And at times I want to be able to go back to the way things used to be. But I know that I can never go back to the way things used to be. Because the reality is once change takes place, it is not possible to bring things back. Well, today I want to talk to you about the change that God allows to take place. The title of today's message is A New Beginning. And there are stories all throughout the Bible where individuals experienced new beginnings, points where the entire world would seem to change to take on a new shape. Some of those changes are ushered in, uh, they ushered in some very positive consequences. You know, when we think of consequences, we think of the negative, but actually sometimes there are very positive consequences. Sometimes there were more negative consequences, but in all of them, going back is not an option. Well, with all of these stories, which one would I choose to relate to today's church? The one that continually came to my mind as I prepared this morning or for this morning was the story of Pentecost. Perhaps I was drawn there because of our recent celebration of Easter, knowing that Pentecost would come shortly thereafter and the Holy Spirit would be poured out on God's people. And certainly this would be a turning point, a new beginning for the church. A journey would begin and they would never be able to return to the way things used to be. So let's look at it. It's found in Acts chapter 2. If you want, you can turn in your Bibles. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen behind me. The first 36 verses of this chapter describe the powerful moving of the Holy Spirit. It describes tongues of fire that rested upon the followers of Christ. It describes a convicting sermon from the Apostle Peter who would present the people with the gospel message. And in verse 37, we see the response of the people. It says this, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I don't know about you, but that's one of those days where if I could ever just pop back into a moment in time to be able to experience what life was like, that would be the day that I would like to go back to just because of the fact that there was such a moving of God on that particular day. I would love to see 3,000 people give their hearts to Christ and be able to baptize all of them. 
that was what an incredible moment for the disciples, not only for the disciples, but even for those who were in the audience that day. The first thing that I want you to see is that the people sensed something was wrong. Perhaps it was simply because Peter had just called them out for their sin. He doesn't beat around the bush with them. Instead, he gets pretty specific with them. He identifies the events that have just taken place in the crucifixion of Christ. More particularly, I wonder who was in the crowd that day as Peter spoke. Were some of them the exact same people who had cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And now Peter is addressing these individuals and he says, you with the help of evil men have put to death the son of God. As Peter addresses them on this particular day, there is a sense of conviction that washes through the people. Peter doesn't pull any punches. Instead, he calls them out for what he knows they have been doing. They realize that something is wrong. And we're told that they are cut to the heart. What does that mean? What does it mean to be cut to the heart? It means that they not only realized that something was wrong, but they felt a weight of responsibility for where they were. They couldn't just blame everybody else for the wrong that had taken place. They were responsible for their current situation. I would suggest to you that this is a rare thing in today's society and especially in today's church. We sense that something is wrong, but it's not our fault. It's everybody else's fault. We blame the immorality of the outside world. We blame politicians. We blame the collapse of the family structure in America. We blame a youthful generation that thinks differently than we used to. We blame a senior generation that doesn't want to move forward. But the problem with all of that is it always comes back to someone else's fault. We may be cut to the heart, but it's not our heart. It's their heart. Have you ever sat in a service and the preacher began to talk and your first thought was, man, I sure wish so-and-so was here because they really need to hear this. And what happens is we're cut to the heart, but not our heart. We want everybody else to be fixed instead of realizing that we ourselves are the fault for where we are today. On this particular day, as Peter shares with the people, we are told that it was not someone else's fault, but the people were cut to the heart because they realized, I participated in this. I am as responsible as anyone else. And they realized that something needed to change. Well, the second thing that I want you to see in this passage is that they were not only aware of their sin, something being wrong in them, they not only felt the weight of guilt associated with their sin, but they also wanted to know what can be done to fix the problem. So they say to Peter, what shall we do? It's not enough to know that I'm wrong. It's not enough to feel sorry for what I did. It's not enough to regret and live in guilt and shame, but what can we do to fix the problem? The problem with that question is that in some ways the answer is never the same. In other ways, the answer is always the same. Let me explain what I mean. If an individual were to do something they cannot fix, let's say they committed suicide. How do you fix that? Oh, well, I guess 
You just have to pray for God's grace and hope that his grace is bigger than my grace. What if an individual has caused someone a great deal of pain? What if you've betrayed somebody else? You've committed adultery against your spouse or you've broken someone's trust. Guess what? Each situation requires a little bit different response. I will tell you there are some things that ought to be done to make things right. If you remember last week, I talked about the fact that God calls us to live at peace with others as much as it is possible on our behalf. There may be times that we need to go and confess to others for the wrong that we have done. There may be times we need to go and make reconciliation. In other words, we may even need to pay back what we have taken from another. There are all kinds of aspects of this that change. But on the other hand, every situation always requires one single response that never changes. Peter tells them to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, I think that most of us probably know what this means. First of all, repentance, understand this, is more than simply confession. It is admitting that we are sinners and then choosing to turn from that sin. Understand that it's not just admitting you're sinners. The truth is, God already knew you were a sinner, so I'm glad you recognize it now. He knew it already. But he calls us to go beyond admitting, and he calls us to turn from the sin which we have participated in. It's what Jesus calls the woman who was caught in adultery to do. Remember the story about the woman caught in adultery? Jesus is teaching, and some men bring this woman to him, And as they bring this woman, they say, this woman has been caught in adultery. According to the law, she should be stoned. Jesus doesn't argue with their logic. Instead, he says, you're right, she should be stoned. So I'll tell you what, whichever one of you is without sin, you cast the first stone. And Jesus kind of squats down on the ground and just kind of draws in the dirt. I'd squat down to just demonstrate it, but I'm afraid my pants will split, so we're not going to do that. I'm not as young as I used to be, so... Jesus eventually looks up, and when he looks up, he realizes that nobody is standing there anymore except for the woman who had been caught in adultery. See, while Jesus was squatting on the ground, writing in the dirt, one by one, starting with the oldest, each one dropped their stones and began to walk away. Jesus looks at her, and he doesn't say, ah, forget about them, just go on. Instead, he says, where are your accusers? And he knew the answer. They had already gone home. He says, they don't condemn you, neither do I. But he says, go and sin no more. In other words, it's not enough to receive that forgiveness. It's not enough. I know that you're a sinner already. I want you to be redeemed. I want you to be forgiven. But in addition to that, go and sin no more. You can't keep living the same way that you've been living. You have to change. This is a call for us to leave sin behind. And in many ways, it is a new beginning. I love the way this is worded in 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. It says, Flee the evil desires of youth 
and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Repentance is the act of fleeing from our evil desires of our youth, but it also includes running in a new direction. Now pursuing that righteousness, that faith, that love, that peace. It's about moving forward now as a transformed child of God. Let me tell you, it's not enough that John walk alcohol and drug free. John needs to walk in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what brings fulfillment and satisfaction in his life. And it's what each of us need in our lives. So you give up whatever habits or struggles you may have. Without Jesus Christ as the central piece in your life, your life will still be inadequate. Repentance is the act of fleeing from evil, but it's also the act of turning to the Lord. And this is exactly what's being described here in Acts chapter 2. As Peter speaks, there is a call to baptism. He says that we should be baptized, every one of us, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. Now, we should note that the act of baptism has never saved anybody. However, salvation is connected to this act of repentance It's what happens when we place our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and then surrender our lives to him. Baptism, more specifically, is an outward sign of what God has already done in your heart. So the reference here to baptism is really a reference to the cleansing that God has given to us. Every one of us, if we have been cleansed by sin, ought to celebrate that. We ought to rejoice. In many ways, baptism is an opportunity for us to testify to the work of God that Christ has done to cleanse us from sin. It's not all that different from what you saw John do earlier this morning, and I'll explain what I mean by that. John shared his testimony of the fact that he was once in the midst of sin, yet God changed him. God has given him a new path. And today, as he shared his testimony, what he basically did was he discovered some accountability relationships. You see, every one of you, you have heard John's testimony. I told him it's really different living here than living up in the Philadelphia area. You could go to the store. You could do all kinds of stuff up there. And you don't ever have to worry about running into anybody that you know. Because there are millions of people. But you go to the store here, you're going to run into somebody that you know. It doesn't matter. That's the world that we live in. And as he shared his story. He just developed a support system where others will come alongside him and they will ask, hey, John, how are you doing? I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you to do that, to support John, to come alongside him because we are a team. And we all want not only John, but every one of the individuals in this room to grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, probably the best question that you could ask is this. What is God doing in you today? You ask John that question. When you see him, what is God doing in you today? Because if God's not doing anything, he's probably on his way back into the same addictive lifestyle that he had before. But now I'm going to turn it because I don't want to talk about John. I want to talk about you. What is God doing in you today? 
As a pastor, it's easy for me to get caught up in the business of the church. There are board members, there are trustees, there are Sunday school teachers. We have a job to do. We have responsibilities. And it's easy for us to get caught up in all the things we have to do. But my question to you is not just, are you doing your job? But what is the Lord doing in you today? If we stop experiencing the Lord's work in our lives, I don't care how efficient we are at everything else, this church is a failure. We, as believers in Christ, must make sure that our relationship with God is fresh and anew. That means we are constantly allowing him to speak into our lives, to change who we are. All of the good stuff that you want to see done, great. I hope we do it very, very well. But if we are not experiencing God's work in our lives on a regular basis, something is wrong. So what is God doing in your life today? According to 2 Timothy 2.22, we are to be pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. I hope that that defines you today. Not just saying I'm not living the sinful lifestyle I lived before, but identifying we are now pursuing Christ. The last thing I want to share with you today is related to the corporate call for a new beginning. Everything I've talked about today has been about a new beginning for an individual. But God also desires a new beginning for the church. The passage goes on and Peter declares that this offer is not uniquely available to the original audience. Instead, it is for all whom God will call. For those who are near and those who are far away. He even touches on the fact that it is for generations to come. That includes us, by the way. This touches on one thing in particular, but two ideas. First, it is a call to bring the message of hope and restoration to the world around us. On this particular day, there are 3,000 people who will respond to God's grace. And the church will truly experience a new beginning. This new beginning will be identified by a mindset that simply is focused on Jesus Christ. Not all the peripheral stuff, but on Jesus Christ. We need that same mindset. We need to be a church that is actively proclaiming God's word. Not just sending out others to do it for us, but we must be the ones who are talking to the world about Christ and his love and grace. But I also want to note something that was clearly present within their mindset. It was a sense of anticipation. What would happen is in the days that would follow, the people would come to expect God to move in a mighty way. Peter and John would be on their way to the temple simply for an act of worship, just going to pray. And on their way, there would be a man who was lame. Begging for money. Peter looks down at him and he says, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give freely. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And this lame man 
who has sat there begging at the temple gate, and all these people have seen him over and over and over again. This lame man that everybody knew had been lame all his life gets up, begins to walk, probably run and dance and celebrate and all kinds of other things. And why? It was because in the name of Jesus Christ, he had been healed. Word would spread rapidly. Actually, Peter and John would even be brought up on charges because of the fact that they did this in the name of Jesus Christ. But word would spread and immediately there would be this sense of what is God going to do today? People would wake up and there would be this sense of excitement. Man, if God did this yesterday, what's he going to do today? It can't be as good as it was yesterday, could it? And they almost... As they came together as the body of Christ, they almost came with this sense of anticipation that may have even been a little bit unrealistic. I don't know if I want to be realistic. When was the last time we showed up to church and we thought to ourselves, what is God going to do today? Far too often, we know the ritual of church We're going to go and we're going to fulfill a weekly requirement and I'm going to attend the service today. I'm going to tithe because that's what I'm supposed to do. Pastor's going to stand up and he's going to preach. I may sleep for part of it. I may not. We'll see depending on how much rest I got the night before. We're going to sing a few songs and we're going to enjoy those songs. I hope I know some of the songs today. What are we going to eat after church today? That's the thought process that goes through our minds so often on Sundays. When was the last time we woke up and thought, I wonder what God's going to do today? How is God going to change my life today? What kind of miracles might God perform in me today? We need that sense of anticipation that they experienced in the New Testament church. I talked at the beginning about us wanting other people's hearts to be cut instead of ours. Don't let this be about, I wish other people in the church thought this way. Let this be about you. What do you expect God to do in your life today? He will not disappoint you. He will fill you. And he will bless you. John used a verse earlier from Matthew 6. Where it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things will be added to you. What that says is when we begin to seek the Lord, he will not disappoint. He will be there to fill. He will be there to bless. Will you allow God to fill and to bless and to work in you in that way? If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, first of all, I thank you for the testimony that was shared this morning. I thank you that you are still calling people out of sin and out of bondage. But we know that your word tells us that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And today we rejoice over the freedom that can only be found in you. Lord, we come before you realizing that many of us also remain in bondage. We realize that maybe something is wrong in our lives, but we really don't know how to fix it. We want to be able to make things right. 
Our marriage is not what it's supposed to be. The choices that we've made, we just feel trapped like we can't get out of it. Individuals are struggling with addiction. Individuals have made poor choices that have hurt others. And we wonder, is there any way to make things right? But we know that according to your word, that the only resolution for us is to begin by repenting, turning from that sin, confessing, surrendering our lives to you. And even in this passage, it talks about baptism. Lord, I pray today that you would purify our hearts. Cleanse us from the sins that have plagued us for so long. Lord, I pray that you would help us instead of to walk in defeat and failure, help us to walk in victory and freedom. Lord, I pray today that your anointing would be on each individual who is here. With every head bowed and eye closed, I would just like to be able to pray more specifically for you this morning. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to even make you come to the front this morning, but If you would say, Pastor, you know what? That's me. I know that there are things that are wrong in my life, and I need the Lord to cleanse me of it today. There is sin that has plagued my life. I have not lived for Christ. And I want to be redeemed. I want that forgiveness. I want to know. I want to know that... I am free. Would you raise your hand? I just want to pray specifically for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, as we come before you, you saw at least four hands that were raised of individuals who need your redemptive work in their lives. But I pray that you would first of all forgive you tell us that if we confess our sins, we are faithful, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I pray that right now you would forgive and that you would cleanse. But I also pray now that you would fill us with your spirit so that we might truly pursue your righteousness. Help us to be like you. Help us to be transformed and let this be a new beginning in us. We will give you praise, honor, and glory for what you do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to challenge you as a church to truly look with a sense of anticipation at what God may want to do in you. If someone were to ask you today, what is God doing in your life? What would you say? If you're not sure what the answer is, it's time to ask God to do something in me. Thank you guys for being a part of our service this morning. We do have a very, very brief meeting that will take place for, uh, we have to vote on some things. It's that time of year where we vote on uh, different positions for the church uh, leadership for the upcoming year. And uh, we do have a brief meeting that will follow. We'll probably do that in about 15 minutes. Uh, So if you want fellowship with one another, and then we will have our meeting. Thank you for being with us. Go in peace.